Hi there, I'm Andy, a moon chasing, manifesting, wander lover, and feel good aficionado. Consider me your woo woo best friend. This show is a sacred space for ideas, concepts, and modalities that might be considered taboo, but that I personally find a great magic in. In these conversations, my mission is to inspire confidence, worth, and mystical thinking in our modern world. Let's get into it, shall we? Hi, hi, my people. Today, I am having a conversation with Callahan Woodbury. I met Callahan last year when early in the pandemic, she signed up for one of my programs. It was specifically focused on pivoting and following our passions during those early pandemic days when, well, you guys remember, none of us knew what was coming next. I personally found that in those days last spring, I began listening hard to my inner voice. I've been told many times by healers and readers and just spiritual people in general that I have a sense of clairvoyance and clairaudience, and last spring, my inner voice got pretty loud. If you're wondering what clairvoyance or clairaudience might be, it's really just that sense of being able to see something that from the naked human eye isn't really there or in the in the side of clear audience, it's being able to hear something that on an actual decibel scale doesn't really exist, if you know what I mean. So for me, I really had to listen in hard because my inner voice got super loud. The message to me was to hold space for women in the midst of these transitions during those crazy times. And people were transitioning for all sorts of reasons. Of course, people were losing jobs and having to find new ways to make money. People were deciding that their corporate job wasn't going to work out for them with the new way that things were going with kids at home and just the general shift in what we were all dealing with from day to day. And then other people just simply were home more because, well, we couldn't really go anywhere, right? So a lot of folks I found had this new reason to consider what actually lights them up. And the voice inside of me said, okay, you need to step forward and support women who are making big leaps in their life and be a guide for that. So Callahan was one of the first women that found her way into the programs I was creating. And I could sense an intense mythical magic in her right away. She's an artist through and through. She's a photographer, a writer, a printmaker, a painter. The list really goes on and on. She holds space for other artists, and in this episode, I actually learn that she comes from a long lineage of artists, and so it makes sense that she has this natural gift of being able to be a guide for artists. One of the things that comes through so vibrantly in Callahan's work is her belief that our relationship to the earth directly influences our relationship with our community our creativity, and our sense of self. 
She is a nature mama, and in her work, she channels the voice of planet Earth, the OG nature mama, so beautifully. There's a quote I love from Stephen Pressfield. He's the author of a book that changed my life as a creative. The book is The War of Art, and the quote is this, If you find yourself asking yourself and your friends, am I really an artist? Chances are you are. The counterfeit innovator is wildly self-confident. The real one is scared to death. Callahan is the type of artist that understands the psyche of the artist. And in her own community, she works to help artists step out of that fear that Stephen Pressfield talks so brilliantly about. It was a topic I really wanted to spend some time with her on. And then another topic that I was so interested in getting her perspective on the show about was this idea that artists must be starving. Mm -hmm. We've all heard that trope. We all know it well. If you've got an artist in your friend group as a loved one, it's certainly a, and it's an idea that pervades. You'll learn on this show that the energetics of money is one of my personal favorite topics. I teach workshops on money mindset and intentional abundance. And one of my missions is to guide creatives and artists out of the starving artist mindset. And I actually have a newly started soul coaching program called the opulent shift in which we focus on the journey to prosperous freedom and in that program it's the work is with creatives entrepreneurs artists just folks that have a conscious intention in everything that they do and so that work for me is really important I believe that the intention of the universe is for us to grow into our whole, authentic, radiant selves. And I certainly don't believe that the universe has some vendetta against artists and is conspiring for artists to be starving. Callahan and I had actually chatted recently about this societal narrative of the starving artist. We had talked about it on an Instagram Live over on Sea Changers. And that's my community for, it's my women's empowerment community. And after she and I had that chat there, I knew that I had to have her here on this show. Artists, by the way, have been working to overcome this narrative of the starving artists since the days of Michelangelo. Michelangelo, however, was no starving artist himself. For centuries, the story was that the great Renaissance master struggled to make ends meet. But oh, no, it was not in fact true. The man himself wrote poetically about despair. He detailed the unpleasant sides of being an artist, and he lived frugally embracing the image of the starving artist throughout his life. But in reality, Michelangelo was in fact a very, very wealthy man. City archives of his 500-year bank records show that he had a literal fortune in his bank accounts. He was worth about $47 million in today's dollars. It is pretty mind-blowing. We're so accustomed to this narrative about artists and really budding entrepreneurs alike that you have to suffer in order to do your thing. 
And apparently that story was as real then as it is now, and Michelangelo was playing right into it. Here's the thing. He didn't suffer or starve for his work at all, but he felt that he had to put that sort of facade forward. And in fact, he was a multimillionaire, creative genius, being paid for his work when the narrative dictated otherwise. He was the definition of a successful, abundant, rainmaking entrepreneur. And I believe that today, artists and young, budding entrepreneurs should also feel that they can become the definition of a successful, abundant, rainmaking entrepreneur. The romanticized notion of the starving artists persisted in the 19th century as stories of European bohemians made their way into literature, opera, music, plays. You've definitely heard the stories. It was that they had to be marginalized and impoverished creativepreneurs in order to actually be successful. If you were a journalist, a painter, an actor, or a writer, and you hoped to achieve some sort of artistic acclaim, you also had to have this sort of free-spirited nirvana that included a persistent struggle and a lack of basic needs. And today we see that there's remnants of that story nearly everywhere we look in artistic communities. I think it's important that if you have artists in your circle, and let's be real, we're all creative, so we all do, we should be really paying attention to the advice that we give when someone bears their soul and expresses an interest in pursuing an artistic passion. It's in the advice that we give to coworkers who dream of designing clothes and they tell us about this intention to give it a try, or when we tell our younger sister who wants to write a book of poetry and publish it that that's not, you know, a real job. So when I'm teaching money mindset workshops, I often start by asking the class to raise their hands if they've been ominously cautioned against being too creative or to keep their feet grounded in the real world as they pursue their artistic passions. I mean, come on, the real world and artistic passions can exist in one space. But what inevitably happens is that this idea of keeping your feet grounded in the real world means that you should actually avoid following your true calling. And it means that oftentimes we don't fucking go for it. That coworker never goes for designing those clothes. Your younger sister stops writing poetry. And we start to align with the ideas of what this perceived success might mean from someone else's perspective. With all that said, I don't recommend being reckless. I recommend being really strategic. I recommend that artists save their money, that they plan their moves, that they write a business plan. And I recommend that if you have a gift, that you tap deeply into that and know that the world deserves to hear or see or feel what you've got. Everything the universe sends our way is a reflection of where we have higher self-worth and integrity or where our self-worth needs a little bit of work. 
I personally believe that this whole idea of art and money being repelling forces is complete bullshit. So in this episode, Callahan and I will get into that topic and we'll also have a conversation about stealing ideas. And I'm using air quotes here for stealing ideas. And we're talking about stealing ideas in order to spark your own inspiration. And yes, I know it's so taboo to even be going there and talking about perhaps stealing ideas might be a way to spark your own creative inspiration. So without further ado, let's get into it. Welcome, my brilliant friend Callahan, to the show. Okay. Hi, Callahan. Hello. How are you? I'm so good. Welcome, welcome to the show. I get to talk to you often, and this is a new way to chat with you, so I'm happy to have you here. It's so fun. This is is fresh and new for me, too. I love it. I love it. Okay, so... First things first, before we start talking about all the things that we have to chat about today, we like to start over here with a little bit of astrology. So tell me, tell me your big three, sun, Mm -hmm. rising moon, Mm -hmm. how they shape who you are, all that fun stuff. (laughs) Uh, I am a Sagittarius is Sagittarius. My sun is in Sagittarius. I have Scorpio rising and a Virgo moon. Mm -hmm. And I identify very strongly with my with my Sagittarius-ness and I have I can see very clearly through the course of my life where my Virgo has presented itself and I can also see where my my Scorpio exists and like plays in with things but I'm still learning how that how to really work with that and it's it's been very interesting lately a lot of astrologers have been recommending that you read your your rising sign first. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, okay, but like, <laughs> do you know what that means for me though? <laughs> <laughs> um, but I, I like, there was a, a explanation that I saw once that your, um, your sun sign is the genre, your moon sign is the character and the rising sign is like the main themes or something like that. Maybe it's the other yeah. way around, but yeah. I, I have pretty much figured out that I am in a, like a murder mystery movie as Indiana Jones. But if Indiana Jones was like trying to put everything back. Ooh, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I love opening with this question because for folks that are obviously already very astrologically savvy, then they can get Not that we're just categorizing people based on their signs, but they can start to get a a little perspective on on what makes you up, like what makes that book of you up. And then for folks that don't know so much about astrology, there's a little bit of education that gets to happen when it's like, okay, what is what is this what is this blend of these three signs really mean? And I love that. I love that genre um, theme. And yeah, I love what was the other one? Okay, character, Moonshine was character. character. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I love that. I think that that definitely makes sense for me. I'm a Leo son, and you know, when I was a kid growing up, I I I definitely knew about my sun sign, but I didn't mm. know about the the other two, my moon sign and my rising. And I'm a I'm a cap rising, which is in, just to get that. Yeah, I mean, yeah. So it's incredibly different from from Leo energy. Incredibly different. Yeah. And when I learned that and started really looking at my rising in that way and reading that equal to my 
spending mm. as much time in my cap right, like understanding that as I was understanding my Leo son, I was like, oh, I'm not actually just like uh, this, like this. I, I always felt I had this like weird, okay, I want to be really analytical and I want to work on strategy mm. and like future and like dig deep. But then I also want to be like, on the stage being Mm -hmm. the star of my own little show. And so, and I always got really twisted up in that. Yeah. Like what that mix. Totally. And then when I realized that just is what makes me up and like, (laughs) I I can play on both sides. I was Mm -hmm. like, okay, good. (laughs) I love that. That's how I feel about my Virgo too. Like the Sagittariusness is like, whoa, we're going to do all the things at once. And Virgo's like, but we're going to do them in the right order. Yes. (laughs) Yep. That's, 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 that's how it works. Yeah. (laughs) I love it. Okay, cool. So I want to spend some time, you and I have been chatting recently about, you know, you're an artist through and through, you're a Mm. creative, and this show is about topics that are, can be a bit, a bit taboo or a bit Mm. woo woo. And when you think about creativity, perhaps for some folks out there, it might not be something that you initially identify as a woo woo topic, but Mm. there is just creativity and spirituality cannot exist without one another. They are so, they are best friends holding hands so intertwined. Mm -hmm. And that's how, you know, that's, that's certainly how I see it. And I certainly started to really get that when I, um, the first time I did Julia Cameron's work, The Artist's Way, I was like, oh, this is a spiritual endeavor. Yes. Yeah. Creativity is a spiritual endeavor. So that, to me, is a big reason I wanted to have you on this show to talk about creativity and and how the spirit connects to that Mm. and and how, how an artist, the the woo-woo-ness of just being an artist. So those are some of the things. I love I want it. to chat about. Yeah. All my so, favorite things. Yes. Yeah. So I want for folks to get to know a little bit about you before we get started outside of your astrological big three. <laughs> um, you are on your website, which is so beautiful. You, you have this beautiful description and it says that you are an aesthetic alchemist, a creative guide, and an outdoor person. And knowing you, I see those three those three pillars of who you are just makes up this like beautiful, this beautiful whole. And I'm wondering if you could talk to me a little bit about how those three things work in your life and how they've, those three things work together to create just a joyful path in life for you. Absolutely. I, I really, I totally agree that you really can't have, you can't talk about creativity without talking about the spirit. And then for me, similarly, I can't talk about creativity without talking about the outdoors. I, that is a place of constant nourishment and just replenishment and, and inspiration, obviously. So I grew up surrounded by people who are artists and who considered themselves creative in varying degrees and levels of acceptedness of the like identity of artist or whatever, because generational things happen. Um, but like my mother is a painter and my father is a incredible writer and, and is able to like play the piano without reading music is incredibly annoying to the rest of us. Um, and I, so I've, I've had these, these examples in my life of people who are really, really good at one thing and they, could just lock into it and practice it and master it and hone it. And I, possibly because of some of my 
my Sagittarius placement. I'm just not that good at focusing on one thing for a particularly long period of time enough to get really good at it. I am, well, not, mm, I take that back. I am good at things. I am not a master of things. I am an essayist, a photographer, a printmaker. I danced for most of my life. I was a choreographer. I've done a lot of things and I consider myself practiced and experienced and committed to these things. But I always had a little bit of shame, I guess, kind of wrapped up in this like, oh, but I'm not, I'm not that good at it. I'm not a master. I haven't devoted my entire soul to this practice. So I've kind of come to this recognition that my practice is very much this aesthetic alchemy. It is transmogrifying one type of experience into another, taking inspiration, turning it into a painting, turning that painting into an essay, turning that essay into a dance. And there, there's actually one piece in my house that started its life as a photograph and has been a drawing, a painting, and a print at this point. And it's it's the exact same shapes, just in different forms. And it it really all comes back to my to your experiences outside because you're drawing in this inspiration. It is impacting you. It is influencing you. And you have to like, just like with breath, you inhale and then your body takes what you've inhaled, that oxygen and the nitrogen and all of the other good things. And it turns it into something that your body can use. And then you exhale it back out because you can't use it. It's done being in your body, but the trees need it. The plants need it. And so it becomes something for another being to interact with. And that's how I feel about art is that we inhale, we inhale inspiration, we turn it into something else, and then we put it back out in the world for someone else, something else to interact with. And that's, I mean, that is just like the linchpin of that, like relationship between spirit and creativity for me. And to take that just a, a, a step further, my core existing mission statement philosophy is that our relationship between our environment, our physical surroundings, our community, and our creative selves are absolutely interconnected and and linked in a way that cannot be taken apart. I cannot talk about the way that I create art without talking about the places that I came from and the places that surround me Um, physically and culturally and my family and the communities that raised me. They're all interconnected. And I believe that if we take care of our creative selves, we're in a position to care for our communities more holistically and to then really understand how our communities and ourselves impact and and relate to our environment and the natural world. Yeah. I mean, for me, the, the, experience of being with mother nature is just the original she is the original creator right Absolutely. so it it tr- i love that that in your in your programs and your business the way that you work it all intertwines to mm. be creative you have to be connected to to the earth and you have to be connected to spending time with that original creativity absolutely absolutely So growing up in a family that had a lot of artists and Mm. artistic interests and backgrounds, did you find that for you early in your life, you were encouraged to pursue art as a career or were you, was, was Mm. art more of a passion sort of experience for you? And 
uh, you kind of stumbled your way into considering art as a career later on in life? Um, it, oh gosh. I want to start by saying my parents were absolutely completely supportive of anything that I said that I wanted to do. They were like, yeah, sure. You can do that. Um, that being said, I didn't have an example of a working artist in my life. I didn't have any exposure to the idea that art was anything other than a hobby or a thing that you did after school. My dad was career military. My mother devoted her life to volunteering and raising me. And in in the arts, she volunteered in the arts for most of our lives. Um, But there was that, there wasn't an example of like, yeah, and you could also write and people would pay you to write. Mm-hmm. That was never like a, I didn't, had no idea that that was a thing. Well, I mean, like, obviously, like I saw that other people were doing, but I didn't know that it was a thing that could be available to me. And so sure. I, I mean, my undergraduate is in cultural anthropology and religion, and I have a master's in community art and public policy. So there's always been this cultural aspect to it, but it's been couched in like a much more, academic or much more formal way there there felt like a like there was like a distance like the skills that I have as you know with this Virgo moon and with all of my my Capricorn placements that I also have of just like I enjoy structure I enjoy making a system for other people to participate in I enjoy being the connective tissue between things but it didn't I didn't ever consider myself the one who would be making the art that would be interacted with. I wanted to make a space for other people to do that. It was like matchmaking for other artists, but not taking myself into the into consideration with that. And it really wasn't until last year when I, oh man, I was hired to be a creative writer for an advertising company. Not cre- advertising, creative writing not something I was ever trained in. <laughs> Didn't know what I was getting into. Lots of, lots of learning curves there. Um, but it was such an honor and a blessing for my boss at the time who I just admire so much to say you, the person with the words, I want to pay you to use your words. And I was just like, holy crap, I could do this. Like yeah. I can write and people could pay me to do that. And it just blew my mind. And then, you know, the world exploded. And <laughs> literally two months after I started that job, um, that I was let go because of, uh, coronavirus, everything. And it was, it was rough because I I'd been spending, I'd spent the last really six years trying to figure out where I fit in, where my creative passions and my, my organizational systemic skills fit as a career. Mm -hmm. Um, so I was like, I did customer service. I was a curate, an assistant curator for an art museum. I was the director of membership for a nonprofit. Like I've done everything in the last five years trying to like figure out by process of elimination, like, okay, well, what what do I do? And so when, when I lost that position last spring and was really offered this opportunity genuinely to sit back and take stock of my skills and my strengths and look at the way that the world exists now and the opportunities that are available to me and think, okay, 
if I was going to design a perfect world where I use all of these strengths and skills, what would it look like? And that just happened to coincide with the Passion Pivot Profit uh, workshop that y'all did. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's that it roped me in with the word pivot because I was deep in pivot world. I was like just spinning in a circle trying to figure out where I was pivoted to next. And it really helped me refine and get my like, get my legs under me. Okay, where are we focusing? What are we going to do next? And from there, I was introduced obviously into your sea changers community. And that has just blown the lid off of it, of understanding how, what it could look like to have a creative career. Yeah. You know, when we, when Nadia and I, Nadia, who's uh, my partner in Sea Changers and is the magical soul that I was able to bring that uh, pivot, passion, profit. That's hard to say. The three Bs. Pivot, passion, profit. When we brought that workshop together, it really was born from she and I having conversations. She was she was stuck in Australia. She'd been with her family yeah. in Bali and then was stuck and quarantining in Australia, trying to get back to Canada and just was making the best of what, where they were and not a bad place to be stuck, you know, in Australia. Sure. Um, yeah. And then I, of course, was at home and I was doing a lot of consulting work and just kind of seeing how things were we're starting to shake out for, I've, I've always worked really closely with creative people in a variety of industries. And I was starting to see just how things were starting to shake out for people. And she and I, I think it was, it was beginning of April. We're like, we have got to put something together in which we bring Mm -hmm. women into this conversation that we're having with each other about what's next. And I was really grateful that for me and my consulting work that things were continuing to grow, but I could also see this possibility for so many of the women that I know and work with of starting to make shifts in their and what they're doing so that they could they could really maximize on their multi-passions. And mm-hmm. Nadia was very much in that same headspace. So that's really how Sea Changers was born was putting together one workshop and then putting together another workshop and then realizing that it was a community that needed to exist all the time for women with creative talents who should also be able to use those creative talents to build a business of their own, of their own, really of their own destiny. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It, it really wasn't until, so I, I went all in with y'all. I was just like, yes, let's let us figure out how to have a business. Yeah. Never, ever in my life thought that I was an entrepreneur. If you went back in time to 2018 me when I was just like, oh my goodness, maybe I should write more and told that person who was working for a nonprofit, busting her tail, told her, you, you child you are going to start a business and have a business license in the spring of 2021. I would have left you out of the room. <laughs> there was no way. It, and it really wasn't even until basically a month before I got my, I went to the county clerk's office and got my business license that I was able to say the word entrepreneur about myself yeah. without like feeling like about it. Like it just very, it wasn't a skill that I thought that I had, but 
through thinking through all of the worksheets and workshops that we've done together, I was like, oh, wait, no, that's actually exactly what all of my skills are good at. I'm, I'm, this is, this works out perfectly. So it's, it's been a wild ride. Well, and you know, we've talked about this before. We, we had a, an Instagram live that we had a conversation about this, this idea of artists and the word artist and the word Mm. entrepreneur can't go together, which I obviously am, you know, I think that that's total bullshit. Mm -hmm. And and it's, it is so ingrained in us. We talked about this story of, there's a a professor from Harvard who had started his career at Yale and he's a professor of art history, had done all these incredibly deep dives into the stories of artists for centuries. And then he came across this story of Michelangelo and Michelangelo lived as a starving artist. He, even back in those Renaissance days, it was like not cool to be an Mm. artist making money. And then what this professor uncovered, and this is all from, it's all in the book, Real Artists Don't Starve by Jeff Goins. But what, what the professor found was that Michelangelo, who was living incredibly frugally, complaining to his peers about money, talking about like, you know, how he was a poor old working servant of others was actually a quote that he, that's from one of his, his poems. And then it turns out he had what would equate to in his, in the bank records uncovered by this professor, this art history professor, he had what would equate to $47 million in the bank and today's money. And it's like, okay, how, how did we get here? How did we, how did it, how did we, how was it like that then back in the times of this incredible prolific artist who in fact was one of the richest artists probably in history? Wild. Yeah. But lived this narrative of you can't be, you can't be successful and, and actually be an artist to today where artists are so ingrained in that mindset that the idea of entrepreneurship mm. is like foreign, a foreign concept. It breaks my heart. I, I get really spun up about this thinking about my, I mean, obviously I did not spend my undergraduate years uh, in the art school, um, but I had many of my friends were in the arts art department. And I, I remember watching them as we all came out of school and obviously, you know, I graduated in 2010. And so the the economy was in the trash and nobody was having a fun time. But my friends who were artists were having a especially crap time because not only had they been turned loose from art school into the middle of a recession, they had no framework. Art school doesn't teach you how to do your taxes. It doesn't teach you how to market yourself. It just teaches you how to make good lines. And I remember being really upset on their behalf. And that was a huge part of what spurred me to get my master's in a, in a field that would help me help other artists to like get their crap together. Like just do it. Like not, not like boss them around, but like manage them, help them feel empowered to, to make their art and feel confident in it. The people that I was hanging out with at the time, after I graduated college, I was in an incredibly prolific creative time in my life. And it was just supercharged for a whole bunch of different reasons. 
Um, but all of us were stinking broke, like really like not cute broke. And I look back on it and I wonder how many of us were doing it as a show. Like how many of us had family who were either actively supporting us or whose money we were actively refusing out of pride yeah, so that we could feel more like we were like real artists who yeah. were eating only carrots and rice and beans. <laughs> like it's not, I, bless those children's hearts because <laughs> they just, the ones, the the artists that I was spending time with who were able to harness their energy and move past their ego and either ask for help or knuckle down and make some serious money are incredibly successful right now. Like just brilliant. Athens, Georgia, shout out, love them. Kids who come out of Athens do okay. Some, some of us sometimes, (laughs) Um, but there are just incredibly talented people that I came of age with in a way. And the relate our but our relationships with money were just nasty. Yeah. Well, in that book, the the Jeff Goins book, Real Artists Don't Starve, he talks about that there are there's you know a whole there's a whole checklist of things that you 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 need to you need to embrace as an artist in order to be an artist who is in fact thriving and not starving. And one of the things he talks about is that you need to make money to make more art. And yeah. so while there is certainly, and, 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 you know, if you think about Elizabeth Gilbert's book, Big Magic, she talks about, you know, do keep what your you day need job. to do. Yeah. Keep your, day, keep your day job. Do what you need to do to keep the money in the bank yeah. and then support yourself while you are developing mm-hmm. your artistic entrepreneurship strategy or your entrepreneurial artistic strategy, bring those two things together, but keep some money in the bank, do whatever you got to do. And I certainly, you know, I I have, I'm not, we're we're obviously not talking about someone who has been, who has been marginalized or who has, has been oppressed and has no ability to, um, to make money in order to create their art. We're talking about people who are living in, this mindset because it is right. inherently just it's all you got to go all into the art and it's not cool if you're if you're also making money at the same time it's so dumb it's like just the the relief that spreads through your body when you're not worrying about money and it i have only as an adult i have only had a few brief times when i wasn't like actively thinking about my bank account sure but those times were also incredibly creatively productive because yeah. I had the brain energy to like relax and find that flow without panicking that like, oh my gosh, I have to produce something or else. Yeah. I mean, that's not any place that anybody that's creating wants mm. to be producing from. Mm-mm. Yeah, for sure. for sure. He also talks about that. So he talks about that. You need to make money to make more art. Um, apprenticing under a master is Mm. a way to become an artist that thrives. I want to talk a little bit about the programming that you do through, um, you've got a course, it's called Unbridled, Mm -hmm. and you have artists of all 
levels from apprentices to masters <laughs> in that course. So tell me a little bit about what you do with your with the students in your course. Yes. So I am so excited. Unbridled is a community and a course that I lead that is designed to help people cultivate creative resilience and reconnect with their inner artist. So it is really all about this. The root of it is understanding where, where you create art from your, your, the, the, your inner artist, what brings you to the table, what you're here to do. And the, the folks who are in the course are genuinely everywhere between working artists, been doing this my whole life. I know what I'm up against to people who are, who were creative in, when they were younger, who have grown distant from it because of society's pressures to not take art seriously, not take creative processes seriously to people who really haven't made art since they were kids and helping everybody find this sense of familiarity with their creative self and really building that friendship and that relationship so that if you become, if you find yourself becoming distant from your inner artist, you don't feel like it's like, you know, those friends where you could just call them and be like, Hey girl, how you doing? You want to come hang out? And like, even if you haven't hung out in two years, it would be like right back where you were. Yeah. That's what we're shooting for with this relationship with our inner artists is just this, like, I know that you're always there when, when it's time to reach out. And that's part of what creative resilience is for me is being able to make art, no matter what's going on in the world around you. Like I said, the, some of the most creative times in my life have have also been some of the most difficult. And I'm really proud of that, that the, the process, the processes that I have perfected over the perfected scratch that have practiced <laughs> over the last 10 years, um, have really enabled me to come to this place where I am, I trust my creative process enough to know that I can rely on it as a support mechanism, no matter what's no matter what my life is, is going through at the time. And the, really the, the five things that we, we talk about in the course are these guidelines that came as a download to me. <laughs> I was y'all, y'all, it was really bad. I, I was in this incredible creative moment in my life where everything was just flowing. And I had so many projects running. I was writing all the time. I was painting all the time. I was making these giant paper mache horse skulls. It was, it was a whole thing. Um, and that sounds really good. It was Not really, yeah, it sounds really good. It was, it was awesome. It was so good. And then because life happens, the, you know, the rug got pulled out from under me, the house fell down around me, the, a, a raccoon, a, vulture dropped a dead raccoon on top of the collapsed house. Like it was just like really insult to injury. Like my life just like imploded on itself. And when I was down there in that, that the ickiest, darkest place at the bottom of that, where I just felt so distant from the art that I had been making just a few months before, it felt like I would never make art again in that way. Like it just, I felt so cut off from like, it was like I'd lost a limb. Mm. And I was standing there in my parents' house because they so kindly let me come back and stay with them for a minute. And I was standing in front of the bathroom mirror and I reached out and I grabbed an eyeliner pencil and I'm very sorry, mama, for writing on your on your mirror. 
but I wrote these five rules. One, keep moving. Two, make a damn thing. Three, do it well. Four, take care of your tools. And five, be brave. And those five guidelines, for a while they were just, if you can only do these five things every day, you're okay. That's all that you need to do. Just check these boxes, just try and move forward and just keep moving forward. And then over the course of practice and years of integrating these rules into my life, they became just like how I existed. They just became this is these are rules for being a good human being because yes, mm-hmm. they apply directly to my creative life, but they also apply to literally every part of my life. Love life generally. And they <laughs> anytime that life gets a little claustrophobic or a little crazy not happy. <laughs> I can know that I can come back to these grounding principles yeah. and they will drag me gently out of the mud and then slap me around and make me do what I need to do. And uh, these principles became the core of Unbridled. These are the tools that we practice with. The course itself is based on the literary process of uh, Joseph Campbell's hero's journey. So mm-hmm. like the basically the, the, the framework for every adventure novel you've ever read, um, where like the hero hears the call, and then gets the big sword and then goes fights the dragon and then eventually has to come home and like reincorporate everything that he's learned out in the wilderness into his everyday life and that's the process that we go through in unbridled and it's a it's a uh, we repeat that that process every month so that we can continue to have this practice of integrating these rules and these tools and these guidelines into our creative practices and really just like sit with them and let them become part of our, our daily lives, just as I have done over the last 10 years. Um, but it's such an awesome community because like I said, that we have such a wide variety of people and the, the way that we're able to pull out nuances every month, there are new things to unpack. There are new issues that arrive, whether, whether you're going through an active resilience or resistance, something external or something internal, we support each other and pick that apart. It's a critique-free zone. So if you're working on something and want to share it, we're, we're not going to tell you that it's terrible unless you actually ask for someone to tell you that it's terrible, but nobody does that. <laughs> and another part of the process is that we, I mean, that's what we do when, we were, when we're fighting the dragons. There's a whole week where we have dedicated prompts for each day. And if you when you sign up, to take the course and to participate in this community, you are signing up to keep your word and to honor your commitment. And during this, it's actually next week. So it's the third week of every month. We challenge ourselves to make art every day in response to a prompt and then to share it in our community. And it's a private space. It's a, it's a confidential community. So you, you're, you're safe. There's a, it's available to be vulnerable but that doesn't make it easier sometimes. That's the being brave part, having to step forward and share. Absolutely. It is. And it is so beautiful to see the offerings that people bring because some, 
Sometimes you're on a roll and you're able to write this a beautiful poem and share it without feeling anything. And one week we had somebody who was just like, you know what? My art for the day is that I'm taking a nap. Like, hell yeah, take that nap. Make us the best nap you've ever taken. Or, you know, you share a picture of your cat because that's that's where you are and that's that's the 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 practice that you have today. But the the root of it is not necessarily to fulfill the brief and be productive and create according to the rules, but just to try to show up and be present and be available because that availability to create is really where you start to find that resilience. If you just show up and are present with it and are practicing with it and trying, that's when the magic happens. Yeah. It's, it's so true. So many of the you know, the creative masters and the folks that we just have been talking about, like, like Elizabeth Gilbert or Jeff Goins or uh, Stephen Pressfield, who has the book, Mm. The War of Art. So many of these guys say, these guys and gals say a, a part of, a part of the work is just showing up to do the work. The muse doesn't just swirl around your desk and like <laughs> grab you when it's a moment of inspiration and sit you there. You got to be, you got to be there doing the work when it's time right. for the muse to land. So, okay. I want to ask you, I'm curious about your thoughts on, and those moments in which perhaps you are not finding inspiration and you mm-hmm. are sitting down to do, to do the work in, in Jeff Goins book, the real artist's don't, don't starve book. He also mentions this idea of when you've got to do it, steal from your influences. Mm. And there's this great quote that I love from Jim, Jim Jarmusch. And I'm just such a fan of all of his work. He says, he says, nothing is original steal from anywhere that resonates with inspiration or fuels your imagination, devour old films, new films, Music, books, paintings, photographs, poems, dreams, random conversations, architecture, bridges, street signs, trees, clouds, bodies of water, light and shadows. Select only things to steal from that speak directly to your soul. If you do this, your work and theft will be authentic and authenticity is invaluable. So what are your thoughts about using all of those things that Jim Mm. Jarmusch talks about, whether it's music, poems, and books, or just light shadows, trees, and clouds to Mm. spark inspiration as you show up to do your work. Absolutely. I fully support, um, I, you know, I, I remember as a kid, I would get really, really touchy about people copying my work because I thought that what I was making was so unique and so special. And if you tried to make what I was making, then it would somehow make what I had made less special. And I have found that to just not be the case. Um, Copying or allowing someone else's influence to inspire you is a great way to learn what you like and what you don't like, how you want to make art, what doesn't feel right. You're not going to know that you prefer linoleum block printmaking over woodblock printmaking unless you see someone else's woodblocks and are like, oh, wow, I want to try that. And then you try it and you find like, oh, this is, this sucks. I'm not in it for this. You don't know until you try. And especially like in photography, one of the best ways to start to learn composition and start to learn focusing and, and light is by looking at photographers' work that you really appreciate and trying to copy it exactly. 
trying to get the exact same frame is such a great way to, to hone your eye. Um, obviously like it is unethical to then take that work and say, I came up with this all by myself. Sure. And that's, that's not yeah. what I'm talking about. Yeah. This is, it's really just about this, this sort drawing inspiration from anywhere and everywhere. My, I was just having a conversation with one of my friends who's a graphic designer and a, a web designer the other day. And she was talking about how her, as a graphic designer, one of her primary inspirations is architecture. And just like it, that is so beautiful to me that you're, it is truly interdisciplinary. And if you're, if you're looking with open eyes, you can truly find inspiration anywhere. And because of the experiences that you have, because of the education and exposure to the specific set of influences that you have, what you create is going to be a, an amalgamation of those influences. I mean, everyone is influenced. Yeah. You can see it everywhere. I mean, that's how we got from Mozart to Stravinsky to Harry Styles. It wasn't by like somebody having a freaking brilliant idea that they came up with all by themselves. It was saying, okay, that's interesting. Take it further. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. What next? Yeah. And, and yeah, absolutely. That's, Copy and that's, people. Yeah. And that's so different from appropriating Yes, from someone's absolutely. from someone's culture or from from, a, from an experience that doesn't belong to you, mm. you know. It's it, there's of course been a million examples of that where it's mm -hmm. like, okay, if you want to be inspired, if I'm going to use fashion as an example, if you want to mm -hmm. be inspired by a type of stitch pattern or a type of fabric, take that inspiration and 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 learn and grow mm -hmm. and perhaps evolve your technique. But it doesn't mean take a design that you saw from, uh, you know, an, ind an indigenous person's right. um, clothing and then make it your design. That's obviously right. a very different, very different right. conversation, a very different approach. We're talking yeah. about really gathering inspiration from everything around you to mm. further evolve your own work. And I think the music example is such a good one because it's like, you know, if there wasn't, if each time someone brought something fresh, you know, the Beatles brought something incredibly new and different. And if Led Zeppelin wasn't doing that, you know, mm. also, and if the Rolling Stones weren't doing that also, and then mm. starting to gather some influence from one another and then pulling bits of jazz and pulling bits of blues mm. and honoring where that stuff came from, then a whole new genre of music doesn't exist. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I think, I love the way that Jim Jarmusch explains it because I think it's like, yeah, to be your authentic self and to evolve, evolve your yes. art, you need to be open to allowing the inspiration to strike in whatever way it might it's, find you. It's very much like that. Just being open and available and showing up for your, for creativity to, to enter your life in the same way. Like if you say, I am only going to be inspired by white tulips, yeah. that's all that I'm looking at from now on. I, I only want to use these shapes. Then you're missing out on like a whole bunch of other flowers. Like you can, you can draw, you're missing out on chickens. You're missing out like the shapes and the forms can lead you from one to the next and following your curiosity is that's one of the questions that, that come up a lot when I'm working with, with my creative coaching clients is they're like, okay, well, how do you stay inspired? 
you follow your curiosity. You mm-hmm. unabashedly, like just with childlike innocence, say, okay, that's cool. What else is like that? What then? What then? What does that lead me to? And then you wind up having followed this beautiful ribbon of thought all over the world, possibly. And even if you don't have anything necessarily to, you know, creatively or productively show for it, you're not in the same place where you started. And that's really the point of it is to to grow and to change and allow yourself to evolve. Yeah. I love it. Okay. So I have five questions to speak just to close us out in this conversation that I'm asking every guest in this season. And I am going to ask you first to tell us about an object or charm that is special to you. I do not leave home. If I'm going to be spending the night somewhere for more than one night, or even if I'm just going to be like going on a particularly long road trip, I have this uh, set of well, it's a, it's a necklace that has a bunch of charms on it that are, it's my like travel talisman. And it has mm. little, little signs and symbols from all different parts of my past life, past lives, um, including a, like a, a silver fern curl from New Zealand and just little, little mementos of different places that I've been. And I, it has been on every plane ride. It goes, it goes everywhere with me. It is definitely a security object. <laughs> That's what they're there for, right? Those mm-hmm. special objects and charms. What is a book that changed your life? Also thinking about New Zealand um, in that trip. Um, I have to say volume one of the diaries of Anais Nin. Mm, love, uh, love, love. So critically important to my understanding of myself as a creative person and as an artist. Um, in that book, she talks about how, um, about she's, she's getting very into psychoanalysis with her friend, Dr. Freud. Um, and they talk a lot about how the, uh, the neurotic man, when he cures his neurosis becomes a, just a, a man, but the neurotic woman, when she cures her neurosis or when she moves past her neurosis becomes an artist. And I, love that so much. And it just like unlocked so much for me when I understood that like my true self, my purest form of womanhood was creative. So beautiful. Her writing is just so special. So special. Okay. Tell me about an experience or moment that changed your life in a profound way. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So as we have seen through this conversation, I, uh, am an intense, loud person. Um, One would think that as a Sagittarius, this was just always how I was. But really up until the sixth grade, I was pretty shy, bookish, quiet, very much a Hermione. Um, And I would get like, I would open up once you got to know me, but there was a, a fear ruled a lot of my decisions. And I would choose to not do things because I was just afraid of them. I was afraid of the world. Um, and in the sixth grade, I rode horses. And one of the people that I rode horses with was also my sixth grade homeroom teacher, Ms. Hayes. Love you, Ms. Hayes. Um, and we were out on a on a ride. And it was it was a very cold day. And my horse was very much acting up. And I was really struggling to get her under, under control. And Ms. Hayes came up 
next to me, grabbed my horse's bridle and looked me straight in the face and said, Callie, because that was how I was known back then. Please don't call me Callie. Callie, you need to cowgirl up. And it just like shifted my world. And I, from that moment on, I was just like, all right, cool. That's what we do now. This is who we are. We are just going to show up and be all of this. We're going to take up space. And yeah. so if you ever get really overwhelmed by me, blame Ms. Hates. <laughs> <laughs> I love that she she grabbed the bridle and your course is called Unbridled. Mm-hmm. It's all related. It's all related. <laughs> okay. So next question. What is something you do for your health and wellness? Mm-hmm. Um, I have to be outside at least once a day. Um, I spend a lot of that time trail running and hiking Um, but I also, um, dabble in some rock climbing and I love strength sports. So like powerlifting and weightlifting and stuff like that. Outdoors woman through and through. Got us. Okay. And then lastly, tell me about a moment you knew magic was real. Mm. This is genuinely one of the hardest questions that you've asked. Um, because I think that I've been really aware of it my whole life, but that's not a very good answer. Um, when I was one time I was visiting Nashville to drop off a pair of pants for repair at Imogene and Willie. And I had just gotten back from visiting my parents who lived in Japan at the time. And I had this little gold cat, like lucky cat bank. And at the time for Imogene and Willie, a denim company here in Nashville, um, it was traditional to like bring a little present to the shop whenever you dropped off your pants. And so I brought them this little gold cat as like a, thank you for fixing my pants and got my pants back. They're perfect. Wore them until they died. Didn't think of anything of it. A couple of years later, I was considering a move to Nashville and blah, 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 got a job full time. First day at the shop, walked into the back room and there on top of the microwave was a little gold cat. And I knew in that moment that I had done that, that I had set this like psychic anchor in the shop that paved a way for me and that working for that company connected me with some of the most important people in my life. Now through that shop, I met my best friend and in a roundabout way, my partner. Magic. Magic. Yes. Being so real. Yes. Beautiful. Okay. So tell us as we wrap up where folks can find you, if they're interested in your courses Mm -hmm. and your art, they want to check out what you are sharing. Where can they find you? I am everywhere online at This Is Callahan. So all of the unbridled creative community courses can be found, or course singular, can be found at thisiscallahan.com. Perfect. Thank you, my friend. I appreciate you being with me. I so appreciate you. Talk to you soon. I love having women like Callahan inside of my programs and especially inside of Sea Changers, which is a community for creative, multi-passionate women who are also on that entrepreneurial journey. If you have someone in your life who you think this episode would resonate with, we are obviously a brand new show and I'd love for you to share it. Creativity and spirituality truly go hand in hand and 
artistry and entrepreneurship can also go hand in hand. So if you have an artist friend that needs to hear this message today, I'd love for you to pass this episode along. Tell your friends, tell your community about our brand new show. If you want to give us a follow over on Instagram, you guys know me. I'm Andy at Wee Wee Girl, O-U-I-W-E-G-I-R-L. The Instagram for the show is your woo woo BFF, your woo woo BFF. Okay. So give us a follow. And certainly if you are posting about the show, give us a tag too. And then lastly, love to have reviews from you as we get the show going. We're excited to be bringing all sorts of new conversations to the table on the regular, lots of woo-woo conversations coming your way. So until next time, thank you for joining me today. Much love, much love.